You are listening to the Coggin Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. In the midst of loneliness and dissatisfaction, Coggin wants to help you learn God's truth in a supportive community that pursues a full life in Jesus. If you want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org. The worship team does such a good job with Matt getting me ready every Sunday to be in God's Word, and I pray that you feel the same. We're blessed to have them, and we're blessed to have you today. And so, now that we're ready and prepared, let's open together in God's Word, if you brought your copy with you, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 can be a very confusing chapter if you just read it, a, you know, one verse or two verses in isolation. And so we've got a lot of work to do is we're going to focus on verse 30 through 41 and try to set the context. As you, context, as you turn into John chapter 6, this next I am statement that we're looking at is a doozy. They're all doozies. They're all amazing and fantastic. Uh, the idea of provision comes up. And as I was thinking about provision and Jesus is enough, we sing about it and he's my provider and my sustainer. I, I had a couple questions pop into my mind based on this text. And I, I always try to be faithful. If God asks me a hard question, I just want to share it with you. So you're welcome. Question one, why have you come today? Why are you here? What's the motivation that got you where you are right now? You don't have to tell me aloud, but answer that question to yourself. Why am I here? Is it out of habit? I'm not mad about that, by the way. It's a good habit if that is the main reason. But I'm willing to bet it's, it's probably not the main reason. And if it is, I think there's a, there's a higher purpose than just hab- habitual consistency. Why have you joined online? Is it out of guilt that you're here or watching because you just couldn't tell mom one more week that you didn't go to church? And grandma wasn't going to take it one more time. Right, with Mother's Day coming up, I got to build some consistency. Two weeks in a row is pretty good, so that's why I'm here. I'm not bad about that. I'm just glad that you're here but I think there's some greater reason. Question two, not only why are you here, but have you come hungry? Like, yeah, I'm a big boy like you, Pastor Todd. I'm kind of always hungry. I can't wait to get the underwords after the service. No, I'm not talking about that kind of hunger, although I can relate. Are you hungry to feast on the presence of Christ in worship and as guided by his spirit in his word. I pray that you've, um, you've come today hungry for him. And if you haven't, that's okay because that's what today's text is about. Being hungry for and feasting on the provision that we have in Christ as he says, I am the bread of life and means it. There's a lot of stuff before this verse that we're going to talk about and a a lot of stuff that'll make more sense like eating his flesh and drinking his blood later in the passage. But this is the main point, I think, of the whole chapter. I am the bread of life. Let's stand together and start just by reading verse 30 through 41. I'm reading out of the NASB this morning. So they said to him, who's they? It's a crowd that had gathered as they often do. What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? 
what work do you perform? That's almost laughable if you know the context of what happened earlier in chapter 6, but we move on. Verse 31, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness that is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Now he's going somewhere. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Now you and I know that he's talking about himself, but they don't get it yet. Then he said to them, no, they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. So Jesus responds to them and says, I am the bread of life who comes. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out for I have come down from heaven as this bread of life, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, I lose none or nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore, look at verse 41. The Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. This is God's word, please be seated. Now, we don't have to know rocket science to get the point this morning that Jesus is clearly talking about provision, that he is our provision. And so the call is also very simple because it's such a simple point. Let us feast on the richness of him instead of, now here's where it's gonna get hard, the wasted calories of the world that so many of us fill up on that we don't even hunger for the bread of life anymore. Now, before we just jump into Jesus being this provision, I I think we have to set some context of John chapter six because this is a complicated chapter. You go later in John chapter six and Jesus is gonna sound like he's talking about cannibalism. Well, yeah, that's maybe what you think he's talking about if you don't understand that he said he is the bread of life when he tells you to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And you're not even going to really understand what Jesus means exactly in I am the bread of life if you don't start at the beginning of John chapter 6 and see his provision for the 5,000. So let's try to build it together. That's how the chapter starts. A big crowd gathers, as you would expect, when they see a miracle performed, like, I want to check that out. Kind of like when you drive by a wreck on the highway. He's like, I want to slow down and look. We call that rubbernecking. It's dangerous. (laughs) Avoid that. But some people just are rubbernecking. They're just like, what's going on? What is he going to do today? He heals somebody and there's the other person that comes like, oh, I want some of that. Right? I, I, want to be, I want to be a part of that. Maybe he can heal me. And I love what Jesus does with the crowds. Every time they gather, it's like on repeat. He, he does something to throw them off, to challenge them, to think deeper beyond their own individualistic, selfish desires. And sometimes he even chases the crowds away because he doesn't want rubberneckers. (laughs) He doesn't want individualistically minded people. He wants followers and he wants disciples and he gets what he wants and therefore the crowds always reduce. And so I kind of want what Jesus wants. I want to see great crowds, thousands of people, every service, every seat full, every Sunday. But I don't want to just celebrate the crowds. 
I want to see followers stand up and go out. I want to see disciples made. And if that's just a few, fine. Jesus did it with 12, we can do it with much less. But I pray we do it with much more. So the crowds gather and he, he feeds them in the 5,000. He's the provider. Why does he feed 5,000 people? To show himself physically as the provider so they'll trust in him spiritually as that. But not only is he enough, he shows himself as more than enough as there were 12 basketfuls left over. Now we're moving through context a little bit. And then we come to the story of the disciples immediately out on the Sea of Galilee. A storm comes in and you can imagine they're afraid. They see Jesus walking on the water. They're even more afraid. And they say that. And what does Jesus say to them? Do not be afraid. He provides for them in their fear. And then he starts talking about the bread of life, and then later consuming his flesh and drinking his blood. Clearly in John chapter six, as we just race through that for a second, we can see Jesus is talking about provision. And he uses physical things of the world that we can see and touch and taste to illustrate the greater spiritual point. Provision. There's some things you need to understand about provision if you're the one going to be receiving the provision. First of all, you need to know it's not a complicated concept. It's, it's giving something to someone in need that they need. Okay? We know what provision means, right? That's supply that you get from somebody when you have need. But if you're going to be the one receiving the provision, there's some questions you should be asking in any part of your societal journey, but especially in God's Word, Spiritually, number one, is the provider capable enough to give me what I need? That's a great question you can ask of Jesus, and the answer is yes, of course he is. Then you need to ask another question. If anybody's trying to provide you something, not only is the provider capable to give me what I need, but is what they give me enough for me? And of course, with Jesus, the answer is yes. Again, I don't know if it can pan out the same way and every time you ask that question in your life. But with Jesus, that's going to help guide us in this chapter. At this point in ministry, it's just like I said, tons of people are following him. And they came to him because of the spectacle of the miracle. And if they weren't just there for the spectacle of the miracle, they wanted to think about the person receiving the miracle. We fall into the same trap today, especially concerning the miracles. But I want to tell you if, you, if you look at the miracle more than you look at the man who performed the miracle, you're on the wrong track in Christianity. It's the same way if you look to Christianity for what you can get out of Christianity, instead of looking to Christ and being enthralled with the Christ of Christianity, you're on the wrong track. All the miracles in the scriptures are there to point you to Jesus, to know him more, to love him more, and worship him more. Every time we see a miracle in the scriptures, we need to ask ourselves, what does that tell us about Jesus and stop celebrating the person who benefited from the miracle? I could say the same of today's society. So in the feeding of the 5,000, it's not just about a bunch of people getting food. We need to look past that and celebrate. They got to eat. Okay, that's great. But, but what does that say about Jesus as the provider? And I want you to take that principle and apply it to all the miracles that you see in scriptures. For example, John chapter 11, we get so caught up in Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and what that meant for Lazarus. Okay, it's pretty cool to think about, I guess, but that's not the point of the miracle. 
We want to think about, oh, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Am I going to be raised from the dead? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, eventually, yeah, I think we can say yes to that. But, but we want to focus on Lazarus and the benefit of him coming back and getting to spend time with his family. Is that really the point of the, the passage, just to focus on Lazarus and coming back to life? What does he get to do? He gets to live, maybe hang out with family a little bit longer, but then he gets to die again. That's not awesome. No, it should cause us to ask questions like, what does that say about Jesus? I'll tell you what it says about Jesus. That he's the resurrection and the life. That Jesus controls both life and death. It should point you to worship him more. So moving past the feeding of the 5,000, we should appreciate Jesus as provider more so we can better understand this I am statement. So the crowds gather early in John chapter 6, and the first thing that Jesus wants to do is feed them. Let's put that in context for a second. (laughs) There was 5,000 men. If they brought their wives and children, it could easily turn into 10,000 just like that. Maybe 15,000. And Jesus casually looks at his disciples and said, hey, let's feed these people. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't see a restaurant around here. And even if there was a restaurant, you tell me a restaurant that can feed 15,000 people like that. I don't know of any. And so they ask him a question. Where will we get the bread? They could have asked the question, who will provide? And in that moment, (laughs) Jesus could have said, I am the bread of life. But he doesn't because they wouldn't get it. So instead of telling them what he's about to tell them in verse 35, he shows them a physical illustration of this spiritual principle that we see throughout the chapter. He feeds by talking to the God of the universe, 5, 10, 15,000 people with a couple fish and five loaves of bread. And it fed every single one, but not just every single one. The story goes on. It says there was 12 basketfuls of leftover. May I suggest to you today that Jesus was not just feeding the hungry, but showing us and the disciples and the crowds that day that he has the capacity to provide everything that you need and more than enough of what you need, even if the context is inconceivable and it seems impossible. Have you ever been in a situation you thought, this is impossible even for Jesus? You're wrong in that situation. Nothing is impossible for Jesus. And that's very clear in this story. And then again, with the the story of the disciples on the boat, wise is don't be afraid to show us today that we can choose faith over fear. That's a good word for you today. Faith over fear, no matter the context that is surrounding you. Then he gets to the other side of the lake. The crowds gather again and they still don't get it. Some of them probably watched him feed thousands of people with just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. And he says in verse 27, at their questions, do not work for the food that perishes. Now watch what he does here. He takes the physical thing that they've seen in the storm, the physical thing that they've seen in the bread and the fish, and he does this. But for the food which endures to eternal life. Now he transitions to the spiritual. Which the Son of Man will give you. Now he's talking about eternal life. Because he is the bread of life. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Everyone would have been interested in receiving the gift of eternal life. And so they say in verse 28, not getting it completely and thinking like we do worldly sometimes. Basically, how can we earn this? What shall we do, they say in verse 28, so that we may work the works of God? Now he has them, <laughs> right? He's, he threw out the net. 
And here come all the disciples and here come all the crowds and now he's ready to draw the net so the truth hits home. And I pray that he's ready to do that for you today. Verse 29, he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. What I'm talking about, you can't earn, but you can believe it and receive it. They still don't get it. So Jesus goes on to further explain that he is God's provision for life. We know that they don't get it because they asked Jesus for a sign. The reason they asked Jesus for a sign at this point in the chapter is because they want to see him as trustworthy as Moses was trustworthy in the Old Testament who prayed to God and God sent manna from heaven. My point right here in this story is like, really? And I don't want to be too hard on the crowds because sometimes I'm like them. I'm like, at least some of them had to have been just a few miles down the shore and have seen Jesus turn a few loaves of bread and two fish into enough to feed thousands and thousands of people. Do you really want a sign? He's already done it. I mean, think about the Old Testament context of the manna and then the New Testament context of what Jesus did and feeding the 5,000. They're the same. Moses in the Old Testament, he says, God, would you provide from heaven for the people are hungry? Manna comes. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is here on the seashore and he says, God from heaven, would you provide for your people? And he sends bread and fish and multiplies it for people to eat, but they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. So Jesus says to them in verse 32, it is not Moses who has given the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Now he's talking about himself. He transitioned from physical to spiritual for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Basically he's looking at him saying, I am he. And they don't get it quite yet, but they're getting a lot closer. And they respond, Lord, always give us this bread. <laughs> Now he definitely has them. He's drawing the net onto the boat. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. That's the main point of the whole chapter. Maybe the main point of your entire life. When I told you to ask questions about those who are providing for you, Jesus answers them right here and he continues to support his claims. As God in the flesh with the I am statement, he is capable to provide what you need unto eternal life. He paid the price on the cross and guaranteed that price was paid and defeated death in the resurrection. Is what he provides enough? Yes, he says, once I have you, I'll never ever go of you. You're sealed for all of eternity. What he gives you is what you need to last for eternity. We read this and we see the miracle of the 5,000 and we see what Jesus is saying here as the bread of life. And, and sometimes we'll even receive it, quote it and say amen to it but don't live like we believe it. How many times am I like the disciples and I leave confused? How many times am I like the crowds and I doubt what Jesus says? He may say it, but sometimes I don't understand it or believe it. He might even repeat it. I even might repeat it on his behalf, but I don't always live it. How many are here today that would affirm that Jesus is their provider in salvation, yet still legalistically work like they're trying to earn it on their own? Too many is the answer. Another question I thought of asking myself this week that I'm going to pass on to you is this. Why am I so tempted to seek from the world that which has already been provided for me in Christ? Can I ask you that question? Why are you so ready to seek from the world that, you've, that which you've already been given in Christ? If you're here today and you've 
never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's a hunger inside of you. I know it's there because I felt it before. That hunger is for forgiveness. Follow that hunger. Because in passages like this, it'll lead you to Jesus. And once you realize that you're not hungry for forgiveness alone, you're hungry for the forgiveness that only Jesus can provide. And he'll show you how faithful he was to you on the cross when he absorbed God's wrath on your behalf. You'll read in scriptures and the Holy Spirit will confirm that three days later, he rose from the dead in victory. So if you would just repent and believe, you could consume this bread of life and receive eternal life and daily satisfaction. You should not be asking the question like the crowd, what must we do to earn eternal life? You can't. The answer is the same for you as for them. Believe. Some of you are here today and you think, well, if I just talk to the right person or go to the right priest, they'll fix things in me and maybe absolve the sin from me. It doesn't work like that. Others may be sitting here thinking, I need to be a better person. That's why I came today. So I'm just going to go to church on a regular basis and become a better person. It doesn't work like that either. The person you need is Christ and Christ alone. And you're not coming today to be a better person. Without Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. What Jesus can offer you is not better, but new life. Now, once he gives you new life and you start consuming the bread of life, will life get better? Yeah, that's also a guarantee I can make. You must consume him as the bread of life first before you look to anything else. Stop trying harder and start consuming Christ more. He is all that you need for salvation, for eternity, and flourishing and daily life. And he proves that. Look what he continues to show. Not only is he going to be enough for your salvation, he's more than enough. When I think of more than enough, I think of the term satisfies. I think of the term being full. It's the exact feeling that I want to feel when I leave the table from restaurants like Underwoods, right? (laughs) I don't ever want to eat a meal and leave hungry. I want to be satisfied. I want to find fullness and fulfillment in that moment. That's what Jesus offers. When you come to him and consume his as the bread of life, you're going to leave full every time, which means you're going to leave satisfied every time. And that's really what you're looking for, even if you're chasing the world today. He backs his words up with promises. Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You can't get rid of Jesus once you have him, even if you think you want to. Verse 39 says, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose none. That's it. Assurance of your salvation. Once you have it, you can't lose it. Period. You're not stronger than Jesus and neither is your sin. And I'll raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father in heaven. He repeats it again. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. To me, this is like the 12 baskets of bread left over. (laughs) He does for you far more than you could ever possibly want or need. He always brings fulfillment and he always leaves you satisfied. It reminds me of a fitness illustration. Fitness has always been a big part of my life. When I was in football in high school and college and even in the military, we were required to stay physically fit. And now I still like 
doing the best that I can, although I get heavier the older I get, because I want to see my grandkids, right? I want to be a good steward of this body that God's given me and leverage it for his glory in ministry. And so I talk about fitness a lot. And, and most of the time when I talk about fitness, people want to talk about weightlifting. Weightlifting's cool. I love weightlifting. They want to talk about calisthenics. I, cal- I like calisthenics. People want to talk about like cardio. I don't like cardio, but I'll talk about it because you need it. Right? You need to get that heart pumping. You need to get those calories burning. That's a part of the fitness. But you know what nobody wants to talk about? What, what part of the three-legged stool of fitness have I neglected? Strength training, cardio, diet. Nobody wants to talk to me about diet. Or they want to talk around diet. Yet diet and the consumption of calories, the right kind of calories is what I'm talking about, might be the key to success in your fitness journey. Go ask an athletic trainer this week. Go talk to your doctor this week. Go talk to a fitness coach. They're popular this week. And ask them what's most important. Yeah, they're going to mention strength training. Yeah, they're going to mention cardio. But they're going to focus on diet. And those coaches are right. Not just in the physical world. Are you ready? I'm going to do what Jesus did. But in the spiritual world. If you want to be spiritually fit and you're tired of being flabby in your faith, I'm being serious, right? What are you consuming? What calories are you eating? Are you consuming the bread of life or the empty calories of the world is my question. That's really a question. Okay, then pastor, help me this morning. And I'm going to. How do I feast upon the bread of life? Now that's a great question. And you probably think I'm about to start talking to you about Bible reading and prayer. And you would be right but not yet. See, in any fitness challenge, we want to talk about, if we do talk about it, the the exercise and strength training, cardio, and we may talk about diet, but, but you can't just jump in and start consuming the good calories without removing the what? Here's the key, the bad calories, right? If all you're doing is living off Snickers and Bluebell, You're not going to be hungry for complex carbohydrates or the protein through the chicken breast that you need. Truth. I just finished something called 75 hard and it was terrible. It was. It was hard. Working out twice a day, trying to stay focused on a diet that I do completely good. No, but I stuck with it. Something amazing happened. Once I stopped consuming the empty and wasted calories and the ice cream and the snicker bars and the cake. And I mean, I could go on and on. Y'all know what wasted calories are. If you don't talk to your doctor, look it up online. It took weeks, y'all, weeks until I started craving a complex carbohydrate or the protein in the chicken press. But once it happened, I could see my body craving what it needed, but only after I removed the stuff that I thought I wanted. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, no, I really do want a snicker bars every day. No, I really do want that half gallon of bluebell ice cream every single day. No, you only think you do. Try removing it for a period of time and see if you don't hunger what your body really needs. We're like, that's sweet about the fitness program, but where are you going with this? What does this have to do with Jesus being the bread of life? Woo, everything, everything. 
Some of you are so full on the wasted calories of the internet, TV, social media, or anything else that's got you down, you don't hunger for the bread of life. So before I start talking about Bible reading, before I give you this great explanation how prayer can help you, you've got to remove the empty calories that you're consuming so you can hunger for Christ again. I'm speaking to somebody today, and y'all need to listen, because it's been speaking to me. Like, Pastor, what does that look like? It looks like a fast. Just like it did in 75 hard, it looks like not eating those empty calories for a season of time so you can hunger for Jesus. What are those empty calories for you? I bet for some of you, it's social media. Uh-oh, here come the toe stepping. Get ready. Some of you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is look at your phone before you even look at your wife and much less before you look at Jesus. You check your text messages. Check all your social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. And after all that's been exhausted, you check your email. I mean, you do everything else. Then maybe if there's time, I just don't have time. I just don't have time to spend with Jesus. Come on now. How much time are you spending on your phone and in social media? Maybe you need to remove those empty calories because they're not helping you, I promise. Not as much as the bread of life by spending time with him in prayer and his word. Maybe for you it's a social media fast. Maybe it's a complete fast. I want to challenge you for the next 21 days. Ask the Lord, what is in my life that's distracting me from spending time consuming you? If it's social media, do it. Completely remove it. Give it for a season. All your friends, I promise you, you're going to be okay. Maybe you're like, well, that's where my business is. I can't do that. Okay, try limiting it. You have this thing on your phone. Most of you do if you have an iPhone. It's called App Limits. You ever heard of that? You're like, yeah, that's for my children. Uh, think again, it's also for you. I use it. I put app limit. I, I tell you this all the time. I put app limits on myself. So you can limit the amount of time you spend on that social media. Maybe for you, it's not the apps necessarily like in social media. Maybe it's a game. And when you wake up, you're doing farm heroes. I, mean, I don't know what all the games are. I don't, that's not me, but maybe it's you. And I want to mention it. So you can put app limit on the games. Maybe it's not the apps at all. Maybe it's the internet that you have access to. I guess that's technically an app as well that you have access to on your phone that causes you to not only be distracted, but it sends you down a path of sin that is becoming a barrier between you and the hunger you should have for the bread of life. You can also limit the internet on your computer, on your phone. We call them parental controls. And again, it's not just for your children. I asked my wife to put parental controls on my Safari on my phone a long time ago. She has the password so I can't on accident go to a website that I shouldn't be going to or on purpose. Why are you telling me all this, Pastor? Because you need to do whatever it takes to stop consuming the wasted and empty calories of the world so you can hunger for the bread of life in Christ. One more example, you're not gonna like it, especially if you're a guy. For some of you, it may be your job. You're like, wait a second, can I quit my job for three weeks? No. For the next three weeks, that's 21 days, limit the things in your life that are distracting you from the Lord. That's about how long it takes to create a healthy habit. I'm not asking you to not work for 21 days. That may sound good, but I know you can't do it for providing for your family. But I am saying you can leave work when you say you're gonna leave work and be on time every time for the next 21 days when you tell your wife or your family you're gonna be there. For some of you, you're looking from your job, you're looking to get from your job what's already been provided to you in Christ and that's value. Men especially, women too, but men especially struggle with this. 
And if your job is taking the place of your time with Christ because you go in early and you stay up late, if your job is distracting you from your time with your family, you need to put some parameters and app limits, if you will, on your job. You decide what they are. I'm just trying to help you today. So that hunger after the distraction's gone comes back for the complex carbohydrate of Christ. And then you get in his word and you read about his glory. Then you pick up a book like gentle and lowly that that show you the character of the traits and draw you closer. Then you spend copious amounts of time in prayer just reflecting on and, and basking in the completeness of Christ for you. But fast first, hunger, sustain, and joy is coming afterwards. I promise if you'll take the challenge, God will show himself to you because truly church, Christ is enough. We sang it, didn't we? Christ is enough for me. We hope that you have enjoyed this sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about us or know what it means to follow Jesus, visit us online at www.cogginchurch.org.